Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Katie F., and I'm a compulsive overeater, recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, today is Tuesday, December 27, 2016. Today we are reading from the big book in the doctor's opinion, and we are on page XXVI, the first full paragraph. Today's readers are for the 12 steps, Stacey K., for the 12 traditions, Anita L., and the readers of the text are Deanna B. and Lisa H. The reference number for Monday, December 26, is 9387. That's 9387. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Stacy Kay to read the 12 steps. Good morning, and this is Stacy Kay from Arvada, Colorado, compulsive overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Stacy. I will now ask Anita L. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everybody. This is Anita L. from Philadelphia. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. 
Therefore, each group should be uh, autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing a topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study at the big book in the doctor's opinion on page XXVI, paragraph 1. I will ask Deanna B. to begin reading. Thank you, Katie. Uh, this is Deanna B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader from Chicago. The physician who, at our request, gave us this letter has been kind enough to enlarge upon his views in another statement which follows. In this statement, he confirms what we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality or were outright mental defectives. These things were true to some extent, in fact, to a considerable extent with some of us. But we are sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our Belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. Again, my name is Deanna, compulsive eater from Chicago. And this paragraph 
became so important to me that I do pass it on. I mean, it's the whole book is important, but right here, I when I first came into OA many years ago, I did believe that I was mentally defective, that I didn't have an eating disorder at all, but I it was because I was maladjusted to life. Uh, I was mentally defective, and so when I fixed that, I would be all right. Well, of course, we know that that's not true. And, you know, again, it says to some extent that is true. But whatever my background is or anybody's background, you know, no one, I, I don't believe, you know, there's always something. And as, parent, as a parent myself, I did the best I could. And today I believe my parents did the best they could. But when I came back into OA three years ago, uh, it just hit me right in the head that, you know, this is an illness, that my eating disorder, that I have an allergy of the body, and when I ingest certain foods, that that triggers, and then I have the compulsion. I have the craving, and once I, but the craving is not, predominant until I ingest the item or I've been eating it and didn't know it in, in other products. Um, you know, I found that out about a year after I came back uh, with wheat. I thought it was just, you know, the suggestion is no white flour, uh, no white rice, no white, white, period. And so um, that's what I did. But I, wheat is a trigger for me. I have no desire, as long as I keep as spiritually fit as I can today, to have any wheat in my body. Uh, I'm sure I get a trace in other things. Evidently, that's been okay. Uh, and if I find out that it's not, I will deal with it. I, that does not mean that I have to relapse. And that's very important for me to know is that one day at a time uh, I am abstinent so that I can be as spiritually fit as possible and do God's service uh, and help others. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Deanna. Now, who would like to share on this paragraph? This is Bella. Can I share? Melissa C. Larry. Okay, wait a second. I just wrote down initials. Let's see how my brain works. Okay, Bella G, Harlan G, Charles H, Melissa C, Larry K, and Kim G. Shannon okay. S. Shannon S. Okay. Tina S. And Tina S. Okay, let's go with those to begin with. I have Harlan, um, sorry, Bella G, Harlan G. Charles H., Melissa C., um, Larry K., Kim G., Shannon H., and Tina S. Is that right? Okay, well, hearing no remarks, I will assume that's the right order. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's eight people. Let's start with Bella G. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. 
Thank you, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the live, on the line. Any any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. Yes, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for this information. You know, before the program, I didn't know that my that I have a disease, and I didn't know that there is. A physical factor in this disease and I did believe that I you know I don't have the willpower and I am not strong enough and I lived miserable I lived in judging myself and judging others I was I was jealous because you know I did believe that something is wrong with me that I don't want enough. Everybody in this world can lose weight if they want, and I don't. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. As soon as I came to the program, and I heard that, yes, I do have a disease, that it's, only, it's also an obsession in the mind, and it's also a physical, a physical thing in a physical level, yeah, that, yes, I have my alcoholic food that I am allergic to and as soon as I put and I as soon as I eat those foods, you know, I am in the disease again. Thank you God, thank you God that you know I learned to be you know, to understand that yes, it's the same thing that a person is has an allergy to peanuts, and somebody has allergy to to fish. I have the allergy of my alcoholic food, and it's nothing to do with me. This is the way that God created me, and thank you, God. Thank you, God. When I had, when I got to learn to, you know, this piece of information, that this is the way that. I was created. The, here is when it started my miracle that, you know, I learned to accept myself as human. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you so much, uh, Bella G. And now we'll have Harlan G. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Harlan G., recovered compulsive reader in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you, Teen Tuesday, for all your service. Can I be heard? Yes, very well. Oh, Thank great. you. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. We uh, we hear a lot of narishkeit in OA sometimes. Narishkeit is a Yiddish word for foolishness. And one of the things that I've heard in the 37, almost 38 years I've been in these rooms is you can recover however you want to recover. But here in this paragraph is a word that lets me know that there are some things that I'm going to be compelled to do. And that word is must. And the word must will appear 72 times in the book. It says here in this statement, he confirms what we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. We are looking at groundbreaking information. We are looking at information that has never before been introduced to the world going all the way back, as was mentioned last Friday and yesterday, going all the way back to Solomon, 
in the Old Testament when he philosophized that alcoholism was an illness, but he couldn't prove it and he had no cure for it. He believed that alcoholism was an illness, but he had no identification of the physical factor. Dr. Trotter and Dr. Rush, who also philosophized through history that this was an illness, did not have a physical component that they attached to it. There had to be some explanation why my friends could eat one piece of pizza and be done. Why could they eat one or two of something and they were done? Why is it that the more they ate, the less food they wanted? And in my body, the more I ate, the more I wanted, the more I wanted, the more I ate, the more I ate, the, way, the more I wanted, and it was just endless. And I had every intention, and I was telling the absolute truth that this time I'm going to eat three cookies, no more, three. And I would eat the entire container. And the only time I ever ate one cookie was when it was the last cookie I could get my hands on. There had to be an explanation that every time I ate certain foods, there was never enough. And it says here, in our belief, any picture of the alcoholic, which leaves out this physical factor, is incomplete. And for centuries, it was thought that this was a form of madness, laziness, weak will, lack of willpower, lack of character, all the things we've heard. Now I'm understanding that it is an illness, not just of the mind and of the spirit, but of the body. And we're going to see this word in the next paragraph, this word allergy, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow. But the bottom line is this physical factor is groundbreaking for me because it lets me know that this is indeed an illness and that I didn't cause it, I can't cure it, I can't control it, and that this is an illness that is only treatable through a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. Thank God for Dr. Silkworth. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan. Charles H., you're up, followed by Melissa C. Thank you, Katie, for your service. Charles H., a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, must believe that the body is quite as abnormal as the mind. Any picture that leaves out this physical fact is incomplete. Well, Rest in peace to my brother, my brother-in-law, Jose. He made the supreme sacrifice on Christmas Day, and um, these, these words are so true um, that the body will tap out if I think I can work this program without um, Dr. Silkworth's prescription or uh, opinion um, of this grave nature. So I'd like to take your attention to the, um, you know, first of all, there's five times that you're going to hear, see this, this phrase, phenomenon of craving. Pay attention in this doctor's opinion. I'm talking to myself. So in the second edition, it says, this physician had repeatedly tried spiritual means to resolve his alcoholic dilemma but had failed. But when the broker, we know who the broker is, gave him Dr. Silkworth's description of alcoholism and its hopelessness, the physician began to pursue the spiritual malady this spiritual remedy, excuse me, for his malady with a willingness he had never uh, before been able to muster. He sobered never to drink again up to the moment of his death in 1950. This seemed to prove that one alcoholic uh, could affect another as no non-alcoholic could. It also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, was vital to permanent recovery. 
you know, thank God for that medical saint, man. I, you know, I tried every six million ways to to recover, except for you uh, utilizing Doctor Silkworth's description. And this description is vital. You know, I must believe that my body is crazy. I must believe that it's sick. You know, um, anything. I, you know, there's two things. I'm gonna close with this. There's two things I gotta worry about. What goes in my mouth and what comes out of my mouth. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie, for your service. Thank you, Charles. Okay, Melissa C., you're up, followed by Larry K. Hi, good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. You know, it's not enough to be told that I can't control my eating just because I'm maladjusted or not living in reality, or somehow mentally broken, Um, you know, and it goes on to say, well, this is true to some level, and with some of us, and yes, certainly with me, you know, it's not enough of an explanation, Um, and I'm sure that my body is sick as well, and any explanation that leaves out how I'm physically sick is incomplete, you know, it also tells me that this is permanent, you know, this physical aspect, it's not going it's not going away. And so no matter how um, suddenly adjusted I become to life, I can't reintroduce um, my allergic foods. You know, um, this is where it like becomes clear that, um, that I'm like a man who's lost my legs. They're not growing back. And, um, you know, clearly I've seen how my body reacts quite differently to certain substances. I know that there's a physical component to my food addiction. Um, when I ingest certain foods, something inside me gets charged up. It gets like lit up inside. And, uh, you know, I have a very clear recollection a couple of years ago, um, having been abstinent for a while, um, I hosted a dinner party and I bought some diet soda. Um, I never seemed to really feel one way or the other about it. At that point, um, I could take it or leave it. And so I I bought some and I realized that, you know, during the night that I was drinking a good amount of it at this party. And um, the next morning when I took out the recyclables, I counted and I saw that I drank a whole case of it. Um, And then I saw that the company had changed the label design. And in fact, it wasn't diet soda that I was drinking after all, you know. All night, I was unknowingly drinking regular soda. So, of course, I consumed a whole case, you know. For me, that was one really clear example um, that I inadvertently consumed, you know, my allergic substance. And without knowing that I was ingesting it, it still had the same effect on me. It still charged me up. It still had me consume way more than a normal portion. Um, You know, and I can feel today inside very quickly when a food sparks that fuse, you know, um, am I maladjusted? You know, at times, do I live in full flight from reality? Sometimes, um, am I mentally broken? Not in the way I once was, but I can have my moments where I'm not fully intact, but do I suffer from the allergy? Yes. That is all the time. You know, I have this permanent allergy and the only solution is hundred percent abstinence. This allergy is not going away. You know, 
I have not experienced the removal of the allergy. That's not what recovered means. Um, what's been removed is my desire to eat my allergic foods. So today when a new allergy crops up, and it does sometimes, um, I don't feel terrible resistance to let it go. That to me is what recovered means. Um, but I can't forget that there is a physical component to this. Um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Larry K., you're up, followed by Kim G. Hey, Katie. Good morning. It's Larry K. Good um, recovered. <laughs> Good morning. Um, Larry K., recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. Um, you know, Dr. Silkworth knew something more was happening to alcoholics than, than simply a moral failing, you know, that, or some issue with willpower. And again, we've heard, you know, this morning, the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. If, you know, if something doesn't taste right, guess what? Normal people won't eat it. You know, if you heard, wow, that's too rich. Oh, wow, that's too sweet. That's too, what, what? Too salty? What are you talking about? I have an abnormal reaction to a normal substance. And I thought I was just a bad guy. Wrong. I have a brain that tells me that I'm allergic uh, that tells me that I'm not allergic to the substance. I have a lack of proportion when it comes to food. When it comes to food, my brain doesn't work properly. You know, and so when I hear something like hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, guess what? I'll eat when I'm full, happy, in a room full of people, and energetic. I mean, um, you know, just, just do the next right thing. You know, the next right thing for me, I remember going to some OA meetings early on, was, I swear, to go to Dairy Queen after the meeting. That was what my brain told me made sense. That was the next right thing for me. My brain lied to me. You know, our ideas didn't work, but the God idea did. And how, but, you know, how could I rely on something I don't understand? You know what? I rely on the sun. It's 93 some million miles away. I don't understand it. Um, if the sun were gone, we'd be in big trouble. I don't understand it. Gravity doesn't give a hoot what I think about it. It's just a natural force. In the same way with God, God is a, is a, to me is a natural force. My higher power is a natural force. I don't have to understand God. I just rely on my higher power. I have to have a simple reliance, not a deep, profound understanding so I can write a dissertation or something. You know, I, so this whole thing starts with an understanding what my problem is. I have an allergy of the body and I have an obsession of the mind. I need to understand that because if I'm going to make a decision, make a decision in step three, but never follow this up with action, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be stuck in the quicksand. I've got to trust in this sun, in this gravity, in this force. And I thought faith was a firm belief that things were going to go my way. No, you know, the car, the home, the job, the partner, the physical size, my plans, my way, my time frame, me, more me, please. And that's not what this spiritual toolkit leads us towards. You know, the, I had to look at my faults, my blame, my mistakes, and set the right those wrongs to gain access, to gain freedom. Grateful. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Okay, Kim G., you're up, followed by Shannon S. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovery compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Oh, you know, um, I'll turn to a different page. 
So in our belief, any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. And, you know, I'd say for me personally, I don't think it's just incomplete. I think it's dangerous, and I can think it's deadly to leave this out. You know, I think of page 18 where it says the ex-problem drinker who has found this solution who is properly armed with the facts about himself. And these are part of the facts that we have to be armed with. The hours of the body, obsession of the mind. You know, it talks about a man who has a real answer. You know, I, I, I feel sad because I, you know, here in the room sometimes the best we can do in OA is just to get temporary respite. You know, someone told a sponsee of mine her first meeting, you know, this is Overeaters Anonymous. Sometimes the best we can do is just get two weeks. You know, and that's sad and it's scary. I mean, there's, there's sponsors in OA who don't believe this. There's meetings in OA that don't believe this. There's even sex of OA don't believe this. They believe in the GA model of it's a behavior only. You know, I've had people tell me that they've been told, if you don't trust God enough to have a piece of cake, you're not ready to do the steps. There's groups of OA that say, you know what, you do the steps drunk, you start to sponsor, and by sponsoring, you're going to get abstinent. That's sad. You know, as January approaches, I'm just saying this because you have to find someone, you have to find a meeting that has a message of depth and weight that believes this, that understands that we must believe we have an allergy to the body. We must believe we have a mental obsession. That's the prerequisite. Those are the, 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 the facts that a meeting has to be armed with, a sponsor needs to be armed with. You know, I think to myself, so I'm just saying seek out those people that believe this. If someone doesn't believe this, I would move on to some, another sponsor. And I think to myself, once again, like, you know, don't lead to the miracle happens. The miracle happens. You're in a freaking meeting. The question is, are you going to hold on to that? Because if you just sit in the meetings of Overeaters Anonymous and do nothing, there's nothing that's going to happen. You are here. Don't keep coming back. Stay now and do this work. You know, this idea that we'll love you till you love yourself. I could love you for, for the eons and you're still going to die in this disease. I love the saying, honesty without compassion is cruel, but compassion without honesty kills. And I'm grateful for the people in Overeaters Anonymous that were willing to tell me the truth, who properly armed me with the facts about myself, that I had an allergy and I had to put those foods down 100%. Entire abstinence was required to do this work. And if you're getting a little bit tweaked right now, another saying I love is the truth shall set you free, but first it's going to piss you off. So I hope you guys are pissed off enough this morning to take some action on these, these facts about ourselves. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Okay, Shannon S., you're up, followed by Tina S. Hi, guys. This is Shannon S., as in friendly or frank, whatever you want to call it, oh, up God. in Minnesota. Can you guys hear me okay? Yes. Sweet, sweet. Okay, the... Allergy of the body and the mental obsession, to me, it feels like a tornado. And once I ingest those foods, um, let's take cereal, for example. Now, I could eat the cereal that tastes like cardboard. This is a type of cereal that when you drop it on the floor, even dogs won't eat it. But for some reason... Cereal just triggers this this tornado, and once I'm in it, I feel like I'm drowning. It feels like this quicksand trap. 
So why, even if there is no sugar in it, you know, for some reason, it just triggers me to the point where my brain gets this inflammatory response and my body that says, you've got to have more. It triggers that inner reptilian brain, that inner addict that says, one is not enough. You have to find more. Okay. Sometimes with other foods, that is very extreme. Sometimes it's very sneaky, sly, and subtle. So uh, here's another example. I um, like to eat, or I used to like to eat no matter what the emotion was. I could be down in the dumps or I could be high on a mountaintop. So I am in a meditation retreat with five other life coaches um, after the end of college. And this was when I was, I felt even more so that I was a white knuckle dry drunk. You know, control your food because you're on the food plan. And after this series of meditations, I felt like I'd connect with, with releasing my eating disorder so much more. So, of course, I'm feeling at the top of a mountain. I felt like I could have ran a mountain, a marathon. Well, it, you would think logically that the response is to not desire food whatsoever. And I thought I could just eat pizza just like the normal life coaches because I'm on their level at this point. And we're all celebrating. All of a sudden, I find myself knee-deep into piles of pizza, and I'm eating while they're sleeping. And the rest of my whole entire trip was absolutely consumed by how I could go find more food and sneak around and do these insane behaviors. But it's the mental obsession. It's the allergy of the body. Um, for some reason, what like peanut butter, for example, why it just when I put it into my body, it triggers this response that says, you've got to find more, okay? Um, and, yes, there were a lot of memories attached to that. As I was growing up as a kid when I was struggling with a lot of emotional turmoil, peanut butter toast was my thing. So, And even though I figured that out with my logical brain that likes to analyze everything, it doesn't matter. I still have the allergy. You put peanut butter in your body, you're going to actually go on this insane hunt for more food. So the moral of the story is um, if it starts the um, tornado feeling where you feel like you're consumed by it, that's something that you you need to look at as an alcoholic food and let go of so you can put other things in your body to fuel yourself. yourself. Um, But I found that I wanted to really resist that for so long and now I'm just at the point where it's like, you know, it's just a lot Time. easier to accept it and move on. So with that, I pass. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Okay, Tina S., you're up. Thanks, Katie. Tina S., compulsive eater, anorexic in Florida. Um, grateful to be on the line. Well, yeah, it's very interesting that uh, most of the shares today talked about the body being as sick as the mind, and you know, and I'm I'm real grateful that you know when I, when I got here, you know, and I also heard that it says that uh, in that statement he confirms that we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind, and uh, you know I come in. Um, just certain that I was maladjusted to life, that I couldn't cope with normal social environments, and and uh, and I wanted to escape. You know, I was full flight from reality. You know, that was certainly me, and I, and I was okay with that. I came in thinking, just put me in a mental institution, and at least I have an answer. Uh, 
you know, well, they did, and and I couldn't wait to get out, thank you, God, and I knew that, you know, I really didn't need to be there. But, you know, one of the things was when I fully conceded to my innermost self that I could not put certain substances in my body, you know, when I believed that, then was I able to continue on the journey, you know, and get some freedom from this disease. And, you know, and I'm also in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I say that because that's part of my story. But, you know, the deal is when I was a kid, you know, I always wanted to run. I wanted to escape. And, and I thought that food was the answer back then. And then when the consequence was weight gain, I thought maybe booze was the answer. You know, whatever it was that I, so that I didn't have to deal with reality, you know. And the good news today, the good news is that no matter what happens in my life, I can deal. I am not alone. I have somebody in my life that's either been there, done that, or know somebody who has. So therefore, I'm willing to learn how to live this thing called life. And, and what a gift and what a freedom. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina F. Okay, now we'll open it up for more people to share on this paragraph. We're on page XXVI on In the Doctor's Opinion. Okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. I'm just not hearing. I don't know what happens halfway through my brain. I heard Linda D. Linda R. Linda P. M. Carolyn S.H. Okay. Okay. I, I know there was a Leia in there. I'm not sure which one. Linda D. Leia D. Leia D. Okay. Nessa R. Julie M. Linda P. Julie M. Lynn S. Monica T. Monica T. You're after Sarah. Rivka A. Someone with a C was in there. Vinga P. P. Lynn S. Okay, I got you, Lynn S. Okay, let's just Rivka. go with um. I got Rivka. Okay, just wait one second. Thank you. Vinga P. I got Vinga P. Okay, I have Linda D, Sarah W, Monica T, Julie M, Leia D, Nessa R. Lynn S, Rifka something, and Vinga P. Let's go with those. Okay? I don't even know if we'll get through all of them. Rifka A. Okay? Rifka. Okay, Linda D, you're up, followed by Sarah W. Hi, this is Linda D in North Carolina. Okay. Can I be heard? Yes. Hi, this is uh, Linda D saying that it was actually Linda R that spoke up, so I'm going to defer to her. Okay, you're right. Thank you. Linda R. Thank you. Linda R., you're up, please. Okay, um, let's go on with Sarah W., followed by Monica T. Good morning, Katie. Thank you for your service this morning. Good morning, and good to you. My name is Sarah W. Grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. In this statement, he confirms what we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe: that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. So the thing that I find so interesting about this is, once we learn this, oftentimes we still don't want to put it down. We just don't want to put it down. 
it's like it's been our friend and our lover and our support for so long, and it's frightening. It's frightening to put it down. Because now what? Now I have to feel. Now I have to really be aware of myself. But the thing that keeps coming to me is that if I don't put it down, what I'm saying is I don't want my honey power. I don't want to really be a part of life. I'm still trying to escape. And I think for many years I did that. Um, you know, I was thinking about, you know, I, I, I hate to bring my, my profession in, but, you know, as a nurse, uh, you know, so many people are diagnosed with diabetes or even with cancer, and they don't follow the prescribed treatment. Why? I think oftentimes it's because they're afraid to deal with the truth. And as somebody was stated, you know, that, that um, part in um, more about alcoholism, which, which says we must, must concede to our innermost selves that we are real alcoholics. You know, to really say that I am, that the rest of my life, this is me. That I have this malady, and it's never going to go away. And if I ever consume any of these things, it's going to just bring it right back on. But also, if I don't deal with my emotions and if I don't deal with my behaviors, I'm going to want to pick up. So it really is a total turnaround. We get to change. And it really is such a beautiful life we can have. But we have to be willing to get a little uncomfortable. But how uncomfortable is it in the disease? Horrible. So I'm so grateful for that today. And today is my 60th birthday. And I tell you, you know, 60 is a big number. <laughs> okay. And, and I'm grateful to be alive at 60 years old. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Okay. Now we'll have Monica T. And if you're not Monica T., please make sure you're muted. Thank you. And then we'll have Julie M. Thank you, Katie F. This is Monica T. in Florida, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeating eater. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. In his statement, he confirms that we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as, as normal as is mine. Well, I don't know about you, but I can definitely relate to this alcoholic torture. I also am in the medical field, and I spent 40-plus decades in this alcoholic torture and didn't know why. I knew there was something wrong with me, but I didn't know what. And here, thank God, I finally get an answer. Monica, you've got a physical disease. You have an allergy. You have an abnormal reaction when you ingest certain foods. Yeehaw! Monica, it's okay. It's not your fault. You have this physical disease. It's okay, Monica. You're not weak-willed. You're not of moral problems here. You're not because of lack of character or you're lazy. It's not, you know, pull up your bootstraps, Monica. Pull up your big girl panties and do the right thing. None of that word. You've got a physical disease. And there's also a mental aspect to it. But this helped to explain things. 
wow. You know, so Dr. Silkworth here is saying and is coming out and talking and telling us there is a physical component to this disease that I have. And yes, this was good news for me to finally find out, yes, there was something wrong with me. And it's not my fault. It's the way I am. God made me this way. And there's something I can do about it. It's called identify your binge foods, Monica, and don't ingest them. Put them down. You're allergic to them. They're killing you, girl. So it was, it was what a relief, you know, to find out that my body was sickened also. I wasn't just a crazy lady here who had absolutely weird old ideas when it came to food. But, and it goes to the last, our belief, any picture of the alcoholic, which leaves out this physical factor, this physical detail is incomplete. This is so, so, so very important that I understand this, that I have an abnormal reaction to certain foods. And uh, with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Monica. Julie M., you're up, followed by Leah D. Good morning. This is Julie M., recovered in Nederland, Colorado. Um, what this did for me, understanding uh, the physical allergy and the twist of the mind, was let me know that I was not disgusting, abhorrent, horrible person who could not control themselves. It, it allowed me to understand that I was actually okay. And those things that I used to say about myself or that somebody else would say to me was actually not true. And once I understood that this was an allergy, I got to make the choice to put things down, to put foods down that affected me so negatively. And five or so years ago, I put sugar down, but I screwed around with all these other foods because I did not understand. I, I didn't have anybody to help me understand what the physical allergy was and the twist of the mind. And once I understood it, my willingness was there to put the things down that had been affecting me so negatively. And for that, I'm so grateful because I don't have to look in the mirror and tell myself that I'm disgusting anymore. I get to have the freedom that this program has brought me and thank God for Dr. Stolkworth. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Um, Leah D., you're up, followed by Nessa R. Good morning. Can I be heard? Yes. Hi, good morning. It's Leah D. Recovered in Brooklyn. In this statement, he confirms that we have had suffered alcoholic torture, must believe. Um, my name is Leah D. I'm recovered one year and a few days today. I was in the rooms and have been for 42 years. Had long-term abstinence, long-term weighing and measuring, Hardcore gray sheeter. Yes, I lived in the first half of step one. How come nobody told me this for 42 years? Was I not listening? I think not. I'm so grateful for these rooms and these lines. 
I think the first step should say, my name is Leah D, and I'm allergic to certain substances, and I have an allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. Once I, as an overeater, truly understand who I am, and it's not my fault, I have a way out of the torture. A day at a time, listening to these words, I truly understand what my body does. I'm not a failure. I'm not a bad person. I'm not weak. I have an allergy. I have an allergy that sets off the obsession in my mind, that sets me to a place of uncontrollability. I tell the world, and this is the truth, I can run the world. I truly can be the president of the United States. I'm a talented lady, but I can't handle a cupcake. I truly can't. And understanding, and not understanding how come when our forefathers in OA gave this to us, how come I felt they were just tweaking the good parts and leaving the rest behind? Why wasn't I given it? Today, I give it over the way I give it, the way I've heard it from you, and I have hope, and I will give the next person listening on the line hope, because this is Emmis, which means truth. Thank you for letting me share. I'm so glad you're all here. Thank you, Leah D. Nessa R., you're up, followed by Lynn F. Hi, good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R., recovered in Toronto, Canada. I also want to share on this um, very popular passage today um, that um, the body, uh, those of us who suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. And this to me tells me this is a prerequisite for recovery and it is a prerequisite because without this passage, there is no impetus for abstinence and abstinence is the prerequisite. I mean, we're going to read the, the, the remaining pages of the doctor's opinion and in those pages, um, it's going to tell us in five places why abstinence has to precede any other form of treatment, uh, meaning the steps. Um, and he further says that the only relief we have to, to suggest is entire abstinence. And, you know, when I, when I first came into the rooms, I was told, I was told that I have um, a, three, a threefold malady, a physical, mental, spiritual. I was never told that I had an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. Um, you know, I was given, uh, I was told to buy a certain book and read it, which I actually liked because it was, um, you know, in a language that I could understand. It was about food, not about alcohol. It was more modern, not chauvinistic, etc. But, you know, like that book uh, also told me that I didn't need to be abstinent to work the steps. And so, of course, for the next nine years, I, I had no recovery. Um, some modicum of abstinence sometimes, but not even, not even weight loss. Like, I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing. Um, it was only after um, I was taught about the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind, the importance, the critical nature um, of abstinence and of being rigorously honest about my food um, that I commenced yes, the steps and recovered. Oh. <laughs> Uh, somebody is uh, unmuted in the background and they're laughing, so if you could please mute, it would be great. Um, um, and I just lost my train of thought. Anyhow, fast forward now. Um, I've been recovered for five years, and I had like two, two glimpses of, of the transformation that I have undergone. You know, recently a sponsor asked me if I have ever 
if I ever have an unpeaceful meal? And I honestly could answer that no, that is not the case. I never have an unpeaceful meal because I have a tight food plan that has no loopholes. And if a food starts to become a party in my mouth, I immediately call my sponsor and I just mix it. And that's, that's the way it is because I, I, I know that I must believe that my body is quite abnormal as, the, as my mind. And with this, I'm going to close. Um, this past weekend, my family and I sat down to, well, my family sat down, I just watched, um, to a feast of Chinese food and donuts. And one of my sons asked me, Ma, are you, are you tempted by this? And before I could even answer, my daughter said, nah, she doesn't even want it. And that is the truth, and that is the truth. But I had to put the food down before um, I could get to where I am today. Uh, that was only the beginning of wonderful things to happen. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Nessa R. And just one moment, please, and I'll call on the next person. Okay, um, the next person is S. If you could please hit star one to unmute. And I'm sorry, but Rivka A and Vinga P, if you could please wait for the next hour. Thank you. Good morning. This is Lynn S., a recovering compulsive overeater from Toronto, Canada. I'll never forget when I heard this part of the book, and it was like the weight of the world was lifted from me to know that my body was sick, that there was something wrong with my body, that I had this allergic reaction. I can remember, I just remember for the first 36 years of my life, like struggling so hard and, and seeing all these different doctors and all these different pills and referrals to psychiatrists and all this other stuff. And I know the alcoholic torture. And I knew I was maladjusted to life and full flight from reality and outright mental defectives. I knew all that stuff. And it's funny, like the frustration of being told that forever and ever and ever, it it just wears off after a while and it doesn't make any difference because I've tried as hard as I can and I can't do anything. But to find out that there's something wrong with my body, it was just like this is the missing piece of the puzzle. But, you know, I was thinking about that, too, because I had been seeing different doctors along the way and stuff, and it's not, like, this is so crucial. This is the key. This is the whole thing that binds it together. But it's also the way we deal. It's also the spiritual aspects and the emotional. They're all three are together. But without this, there isn't a chance of recovery. I'm so grateful that I've been able to sit here and listen to the amazing shares and to remember myself, the joy that I felt. I even had an intestinal bypass where they cut out part of your intestines. Like I tried everything and nothing made any difference. And to be honest, you know what? I wanted there to be something wrong with me. I wanted there to be something that was fixable. And, you know, with this program... I can be recovered, I'll never be cured, but I can be recovered and I can live a life far greater than I ever thought was possible. With this, I think I'll pass. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Okay, well, we've come to the end of our meeting. Um, thank you to everyone who has shared. Thank you to Stacey K, Anita L, Deanna B, and Lisa H. And um, please join us 
for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Lisa H. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Thank you, uh, Lisa H. Recovered in Tennessee. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.